Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 62 of the Coach Fury Podcast. Having just come back from Asia, it seemed really appropriate to have on a fellow Godzilla fan, a fellow fan of Japanese culture, and somebody that actually directly has helped me find locations and, and given me information on how to get around. And that is David Eric Dopko, aka Dave Dopko, somebody that I met through one of these Facebook groups uh, for Godzilla collectors online and has just become one of those social media buddies that you have that's actually helped me out a lot. And the cool thing you're going to hear on this show is Dave and I have never spoken in person. And I think a theme that comes up in this in this show, in this podcast, in this episode in particular, it's just, we talk about it in fitness, but how close people can become and how easy it is to make friends. And I know social media is viewed as a, a negative thing, but there's elements like this, like this very episode, that is a great positive that comes out of social media. And uh, you're bringing people together, which I think was the original point of the whole thing, right? So I'm excited for you to hear this episode. Here's a few things that are going on in the world of Fury before we get to Dave and I. I've got some workshops coming up. Uh, a couple of last minute things popped up for the end of the year. Sunday, December 2nd, I have a DVRT workshop at the Brooklyn Athletic Club, Larry Betts' awesome place. That's going to be from 10 to 2. It's kind of like a greatest hits introduction to the DVRT system, the Dynamic Variable Training System, uh, as well as what makes the Ultimate Sandbag such a unique implement. And when the two are combined, it's magic. So come and check that out. It's only $99, and then you can later apply that fee towards a DVRT certification. So come and check that out Sunday, December 2nd. Uh, I will be at WinterCon Saturday, December 1st with the kids. And then Wednesday, December 19th, if you happen to find yourself in Taiwan, <laughs> I'm gonna be flying back out to teach an HKC one-day kettlebell certification. And there's about five or six spots left on that one. That's Wednesday, December 19th from 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m., and that's going to be at SoulFit in Taipei City. So please come out to that. The RKC for the next two days is completely sold out, but uh, any of my new Taiwan friends, please come and check out the cert. Then we're going to have Pressing Reset January 13th. Man, it seems crazy to talk about 2019 at MFF Bowery, and then heading out to Southeastern Mass., for uh, another DVRT workshop at Milestone Fitness. That's Saturday, January 26th from 11 to 3. So my New England Mafia crew of Strength Faction. Let's see some of you out there. And then the RKC, almost sold out at Momentum Fitness, Saturday, March 2nd through March 3rd. We've got a stellar crew brewing for that one. So come and join us there. And then the HKC in the United States with me in New York at MFF Bowery on Sunday, March 10th. And then there's a bunch of stuff brewing in the works but the things that are locked up saturday september 21st original strength at acwa in tulsa i'm really excited to see my buddy dustin ripito out there and the following day we're going to do a dvrt workshop sunday september 26th uh sorry september 22nd from 10 to 2 at acwa tulsa hanging out with ripito my new friend aaron out there speaking of dustin if you heard the episode um Dustin's episode, you realize that he's in desperate need for a kidney transplant. So this coming Saturday, November 24th, um, you could do it the, the 23rd, the 24th, or the 25th. There's a swingathon, a 15-minute swingathon. You could find out all the information at alltheswings.com. 
It's you can donate money towards somebody that's doing kettlebell swings like yours truly. How many swings can I get in 15 minutes? And you can donate an amount per swing or you could just fund me um, a flat rate, whatever you want that to be. So hit me up at coachfury at gmail.com or on the socials if you want to donate money towards that or you can go directly to alltheswings.com. Now, if you're in the Brooklyn, New York area and want to come and swing with me uh, and Optimus Prime, a.k.a. Caitlin Lavelle, she's going to join me. We're going to be here at Fury Industries in Gowanus from 10 to 10.30, 10.45, doing our swing. So if you want to come down and check it out, please do that. Uh, Dustin has a lot of expenses brewing, um, going through his dialysis and his transplant. And also the living donor, um, when he finds one, hopefully very soon, is going to have some expenses of their own. So uh, we want to help offset that and make this as easy as possible. So alltheswings.com. And that is it for all the shilling. Uh, other than if you're in Gowanus, come check us out. Small group classes, personal training, online coaching. Uh, it feels so good to be back. It's a little weird to be heading out to Taiwan again, but I'm super excited. So we are the speakeasy of strength. You get a chance to work with somebody that travels the world teaching, uh, quite frankly, in a private, private, super secret training space, a.k.a. Fury Industries, a.k.a. the home of us. Um, so come check that out. Enough. Let's get on with this, man. It's a uh, Lower East Side, New York love fest between David Dopko and I as we chat about Godzilla and the ch how New York has changed. Enjoy. Listeners, uh, it seemed like an appropriate time to have uh, another Godzilla slash toy geek out episode, having just come back from Japan. And this week's guest... This is the first time we're actually seeing each other live and talking and hearing each other's voices, but it's uh, David Dopko, now Dave Dopko, your preference, the world's preference. Uh, hey, man. <laughs> but the great thing about this gentleman is through the weirdness of Facebook groups, which is also a wonderful thing, when I joined up into a couple of Godzilla groups, there were a few people that... I don't know if they commented on some of my posts, but then I felt comfortable enough to just like reach out and ask questions. And, and Dave was definitely one of them. When I found out I was going to Tokyo, I hit up Dave uh, and Dell and Kyle and were like, do you guys have any suggestions while I'm out there where to go? And it was super helpful, um, not just about where, what shop should I go to to go, go toy hunting, but also like how to get around and stuff. So first and foremost, in person, finally, uh, I know I've thanked you via messenger. Thank you for all your help. Oh, you're, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. And, you know, I love Japan so much. And actually, Kyle and I are heading back in February of this year. We're um, going to head to hopefully hit Wonderfest, which is like once in a lifetime thing. I, I want to do that. And uh, we're going in February because it's pretty inexpensive to travel to Japan in February. And we're going to try to hit the Sapporo Snow Festival in Hokkaido, which should be really oh, cool. Wow. So, so yeah, so uh, getting back to your, your question or your comment, I would be happy to help anyone who needs any advice on, on traveling to Japan and where to go and, and how to get around. Now, you, this is your third time or second time? This was my third time in Tokyo. So I'm, I'm you, you, you can hold that mantle. You can, you can do what I did. You can help people because it only takes a little bit to get, to get into the groove. Am I right? It, yeah. It's once you, once you, the, the train system's funny when you first get there because you're seeing it in, in dual language and it's not like in New York where you, you might be on one subway line and you can look at the map and you see them all. But at that station, there's only like the one line. There's only, 
there's so many hubs in, in Japan that like you go there and they're multicolored and there's so many, they're all going in different places. But then once you actually like start thinking smaller, like, it's super easy. And I was on a really easy line, um, which I'm totally honest. It was the Yamanote line. That was yes, the Yamanote line, which basically circles to almost every place you want to go as a toy collector. Right. Every place we want to go. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, and, and the good thing about what, what a lot of people may or may not know is if you're traveling to Japan for a few weeks, which I think is, you know, you should definitely take at least two weeks if you can on your first trip to, to see what you need to see. And definitely pick up a Japan Rail Pass. Yeah. If you want to go anywhere besides Tokyo, it's essential. And also, you can use it on the Tokyo subway lines too. Not everyone, but, but many of them, I believe including the Yamanote line, will, will let you use it. And you just stroll through the, the turnstile. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I mispronounce it all the time, but I had one of those like uh, Suica cards or yeah. Suica, Suica cards. Yeah, Suica cards. And it's super great. And you can use it to buy items too at a lot of shops. Because, uh, 7-Eleven uh, <laughs> is, is still the weirdest thing. So uh, Americans might not realize because we, we, we joke about how many Starbucks there are. And there are a lot of Starbucks in Japan as well. Um, but there are 7-Elevens, Lawson's, Family Mart's. Almost every four doors down, there's one of those places in Tokyo. It's in like I've never seen a more densely populated convenience store area. It it totally beats Manhattan in terms of that. Now, having said that, those shops are all awesome and nothing like they are here in the states. Like, <laughs> you can buy dinner basically at one of those Seven Elevens, and 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 they're definitely really great to, to pop in if you're hungry. Just grab a you know, a rice ball, you know, yeah. and, and it'll totally side tide you over. Um, Kyle and I, when we did, went to Japan in, in summer of 2014, I believe, we were both super early risers. So we, we were staying in Ikibukuro and there was a, a Lawson's in the hotel at the, at the Prince Hotel we were staying at. So, you know, we're up at 5.30 and a little bit hungry and want to get a coffee. So you go to Lawson's, you get a Japanese pastry and a coffee. And then you wait for breakfast to open about eight thirty or nine. So it's definitely something that that you will you you will love to find in Japan. And they have umbrellas and and exchange machines. You can get money. You can do everything there. So just great, great, great things to to visit when you when you go over there. Yeah, it, it it was a bizarre thing, but they do become like little mini lifelines too. You end up in a neighborhood you're not you know I don't know where stuff is. You're always going to come across like a Lawson's or a Seven Eleven or something. Always, always. Um, I'm going to ask you uh, the the question. I'm sure you get a lot, and I, I know I get it a lot. And why Godzilla? Okay, um, I remember you asking that question to Brian when you did your your interview last spring. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's a it's a great question. And basically, why I collect Godzilla as an adult, or why I started? I'll tell you why I started. Let's go with the start. Okay. So as many of us, you know, Godzilla fans, when we were kids, our gateway drug, as it were, were dinosaurs. Right? So I was fascinated by dinosaurs. I could pronounce all the names and, and amaze my parents' friends with, you know, the, my knowledge of the, of the Jurassic, Triassic, and Cretaceous and all that stuff. So dinosaur fan. And I'm a little bit older than you are, so I was born in 65. So... Uh, I'd say probably the early 70s, um, 
my dad used to circle things in TV Guide magazine that he thought that I would like when I, when I was able to read it. And I remember distinctly, like it was yesterday, he circled this one movie called Monster Zero, okay? And uh, he said, this, I think this has dinosaurs in it, so I think you might like this. So <laughs> I turned on Monster Zero, probably Channel 9, WOR, or Channel 11, or Channel 17, which is, which is a Philadelphia station. Anyway, I was introduced to Godzilla, Rodan, and King Ghidra, and I didn't know what any of them were, who any of them were, and the rest is history. And then I think the second film I saw was actually King Kong versus Godzilla, and then the original 54 Godzilla, and so on and so on. But yeah, I think that my love of dinosaurs got me into the, to the, the, uh, my love for Godzilla and Japanese science fiction science movies. I think that's like the same for, for most of us. It would it definitely, there, there's a thing about the reality of giant monsters like dinosaurs, like legit happened. And then there's the fantasy aspect of the Godzilla movies that really, I, I just know it caught my imagination. And at a time where we didn't have access to, or, or control over what was coming on the TV or something. So it was such a bizarre treat when they did show up. It was a bizarre treat, and it was actually, you know, one of those things where I was actually allowed to stay up late to watch it if they were on past my bedtime, which was, I think was really cool. And my, and my parents always encouraged it. Like, they never really were like, don't watch that stuff, you know. Um, I'm sure my dad would have rather that I watched football with him, but um, no, that, that was like on Thanksgiving, for example, you being from the East Coast, yeah. I think starting in 75 or 76, that uh, WOR Channel 9 started running a holiday marathon um, on Thanksgiving Day. And it was Mighty Joe Young, King Kong, and Son of Kong. And when we'd have Thanksgiving at our house, like the guys would be watching the football game, the ladies would be cooking the dinner, and my ass would be downstairs on a little black and white TV watching the King Kong marathon. That's, that, that's, my, that's memories of Thanksgiving for me. That yeah. is my. That is how my involvement in the movies. It, it, yeah. it, I, and I never understood. Like it wasn't until you know, even in the groups when people would repost the original ads, that it was like one day was Kong focused and the other day was the other other movies. I just remembered Thanksgiving. This is what it's going to happen. This, this is what's coming on, and I'm going to try to sit and watch all of them and, yeah. as much as possible. Because you and, didn't know if they're if you were going to get a chance to see them until the next Thanksgiving. Exactly. And that's, that's true. And, and people, some of our younger friends and fans can't relate to the fact that there was no such thing as a VCR back then. Well, you we were just talking with my daughter. My, so my kids are big into anime right now and, or they're starting to, you know, they're, they're just sitting that age and the season ends and they're like, I can't wait for the next season. Cause they're going to be able to binge watch it. Like they of have course. no idea that like we, we couldn't binge watch. Binge watch. What, what is that? That, that word was even invented back then. Binge, binge watch. I think that's a, that's a millennial term, right? Binge yeah, watch. it's, it's you know, Netflix generated. Totally generated it. And and not that I don't participate in my own share of binge watching these days, but um, but yeah, so that solidified my love for these movies and, and it associated them with my warm, fuzzy feelings of childhood. You know, yeah. and, and a simpler, gentler time when, you know, you had to go to the store and buy toys and model kits that you know that reflected the movies that you love but having said that there really wasn't much back then for us to, to sink our teeth into i mean when i was a kid i mean we had the aurora model kits 
which I absolutely loved. And I was a little too too old for the the initial ones, which were the long box ones. I, I was the glow in the dark Aurora models, yeah. which was 1969 through like 1974. That was like the span that they were available. So that that was my you know uh, heyday. And I remember going to Woolworths in Pine Beach, New Jersey to get my very first Godzilla toy and collectible, which I still have downstairs. That's amazing. You were Glow Godzilla. And um, yeah, I got a good report card and I think it was a buck 50. That's and, amazing. Uh, so, so yeah, my, my, I mean, he's, I used to bring him to the beach and play with him in the sand and they, they all wrecked. But for some reason, this figure, this model kit remained intact except for he was missing a hand and the nameplate was gone, but they reissued the kit so many times over the years that I was able to, to get a new hand and a new nameplate. But now, nowadays, the kits are pretty inexpensive. The reissues, it's the boxes. Yeah. You know, worth all the money. And, you know, I paid top dollar about 10 years ago to get a really great, um, you know, great condition Godzilla glow-in-the-dark box, which I didn't have in the case and everything. It's just really cool. So, Because that is indeed the one that started it. Well, let's let's talk now about as an adult because you do have uh, folks. If you if you if you look at uh, Dave, I'll say David Dopko because th it'll be easier for them to find your page. If you look at his his collection, for for people when they come into the uh, Fury Industries our living room and they see the Godzilla wall, you know it's it's nice. Like what I like to say is when I go to New York Comic Con, my wall is better than any booth I'm going to walk into usually. Absolutely. That said. I have like basically transformed my collection. It's it's almost all X plus, which is uh, for the uninitiated uh, a, a Japanese line that gets U.S. releases. And I have some Bandai's that I've picked up from Japan, mostly from Shin Godzilla. It's the one that was I was out there for. I actually got to see it at the Toho Cinema at at, at the Godzilla Hotel. And yeah, I mean, dude, I got to tell you, though. So Shin Godzilla is the, uh, for listeners, the 2016 Godzilla movie. And it was a massive, massive hit in Japan. It got a short, limited release in the States. Um, when you go to see these movies in Japan, they are not subtitled. And Shin Godzilla is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people talking in meetings. <laughs> I was like, holy crap. <laughs> trying to sort it out. But uh, so I have like, you know, that movie means a bit more to me for the Bandai figures. And uh, I bought a bunch of Ultraman stuff from the uh, from the store in Tokyo Station. But your room yeah. is like a museum. Like it's pretty insane when you see the pictures of your collection. And you're also an amazing photographer. So you, you have wonderful pictures of the toys. Thank you. Did the, from the Aurora model... Uh, and what I get from like Brian and some of the crew is, is basically they've been collecting all along. And then there's people like me that I, I started buying Godzilla stuff much later on. Um, what, what, as an adult now is the driving factor for the collection. Well, let me backtrack just a tiny bit. There was a long span between the Aurora model kit and starting, restarting my passion for collecting these toys. Um, number one, you know, high school and college came around and, you know, I really wasn't into this as much. I kind of put it on the back burner when I was in high school because you could do all the high school stuff and going to the beach and studying and running track and all that stuff. And it wasn't something that, that was really, you know, talked about all that much. Maybe in elementary school because the, 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 the movies were, were shown on television, you know, but as far as like, I, there was really nothing that I owned. Like I skipped the Imperial Godzilla, I skipped the Trendmaster stuff. Basically one day 
Um, I went to college in, in uh, North Jersey. So I made the eventual trip into Manhattan to explore. And I remember walking on Bleecker Street um, between Thompson and LaGuardia. There's a little shop called Children of Paradise. And I saw in the window, like, all of this Godzilla stuff. And the thing that caught my eye the most was the Great Monster series, 1964 Bandai Godzilla, which is big. It's pretty big. It's massive. So I would like walk by there and be like, man, this is, what is this? This is, this is kind of cool. And then I kind of, you know, you know, stored it away. And then I started going into the city more and more and more. And then um, I eventually got the courage to go into the store and, and see, because a lot of times when I went, it was later on in the evening, the store was closed. And then um, I went into the store and they had all the, the, this was like, I guess this was 1988, 89, 88 maybe. And they had a lot of the Bandai Ultraman and Bandai toys that were starting to come out. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. And I remember leaving thinking it's cool, but it's kind of expensive. That store was very expensive for what it was. And that then was the store, because we talked about this. I don't mean to cut you off. But that was the store that was right near Kim's video, right? It was right next to Kim's video. That, okay. that, that was it. So this is where we, when we were on a, a message, we, we, our worlds uh, potentially collided. But I, I just wanted to, so for, for our New York folks, we'll go into Kim's video a little bit because our stories are very similar, but one, literally one door away in terms of Godzilla Connection. Literally one door away. Literally right? one door away. And, and that was the joy. I call it the golden era of my toy collecting journey when, when I was first discovering all that New York City had to offer. Children of Paradise, Village Comics. Um, Love Zaka Saves the Day. Love Saves the Day, which is, I, ironically enough, I lived around the corner from when I moved to New York. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 Zaka came later on, uh, which was a great, that, that actually was great. But even in Chinatown, there was a place called the Waku Trading Company. Mm -hmm. and that was on Mott Street, I believe. So every once in a while, they'd have some really cool stuff that like, you know, not bootleg stuff, like legit Japanese stuff. And, but that was the joy that I was discovering, like walking around the streets, trying to find this stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is great. This is great. So anyway, let me go back to the, the Kim story. I left Children of Paradise and went into the Kim's, which was new. Because the, the first Kim's was actually on St. Mark's Place. Yeah. A little tiny place. You had to walk up these rickety stairs to get up there. So anyway, I go into the Kim's, and on the counter, they had a Bandai Showa King Ghidra with a tag. Oh, wow. it, wasn't the, it wasn't the 84. It was the 88, but that's cool anyway. And on the other side, they had the 1984 smaller Bandai Godzilla, also with a tag. And I picked it up and I'm like, how much is this? And he's like, five bucks. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> I'll take it, right? So, and then I picked up Ghidra. I said, well, how much is this? Oh, that's $25. I'm like, oh, no, 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 $25? Who would pay that much for, for a plastic toy? Those words literally <laughs> went through my head. And, you know, boy, what an idiot statement that was. So anyway, I bought the Godzilla and I, I still had enough money to get home on the PATH train get back to Newark and then get back on New Jersey transit to go back home. So anyway, that was my very first toy in the new, my new found love for this stuff again. And then of course, you know, I moved to New York in, in 1990 and uh, then I really discovered all the stuff. And I ended up actually working at Children of Paradise on weekends. That was my part-time job. That, that's what kind of blew my mind. You had mentioned that. What years were, was that? Like, oh, God, I guess, I guess that was maybe 91 to 93. 
Um, it was basically the years that I lived in Manhattan. Okay. I lived in the East Village on St. Mark's Place and then we moved to Brooklyn. But before that, um, uh, I, I, I was in the restaurant business for, for a while. So I was working in different places all over the city. But my weekend job, basically just to, I, I don't think I ever got a paycheck. I just took it out, <laughs> took, my, took my payout in toys. In toys. Billiken toys, models, and this and that. And um, so, yeah, so that, that was my, my fledgling days of collecting. And then just being, and, and you can absolutely relate to this, just being in that environment and seeing all that you never even knew existed. It was just, just I, I, I get like goosebumps when I think about how awesome we, that was. To, to stress about the magic of that, because we're like literally so close in overlap on a lot of this uh is it, it, folks there was there was no internet right no there internet. was no data search for this stuff so it was word of mouth occasionally a zine if you went to like toy shop magazine do you remember toy shop magazine oh yeah it was like, it was like a big like just printed newsprint basically and then yeah. little hints and things of, of people i saying. haven't thought about that in forever and then you know there used to be different comic conventions before it became like the big deal of having comic conventions um People don't remember how many church basements and shitty motels comic conventions used to be in <laughs> like before it became what it is. But um, so for me, you know, the, the, those, those Thanksgiving marathons were, were like the hub. But if any one of them, if I ever caught one, it would come on. But I had no idea about like the exact movie names. I had no idea like why the suit kept changing. Why isn't there any continuity? Um, and then, you know, the interesting for me is like, so I, I still stayed very much into like comic books and, and toys, but I was always, and Brian and I talked about this a, a bit for me, the best toy line ever created was GI Joe, because I like, uh, a, they really went big when you think about, you know, the USS flag, the hovercraft, all that stuff. And, but, but it was how, uh, articulated they were that they could actually like play with them. I hated transformers cause you couldn't really move them around. Same thing with He-Man. I didn't like anything that actually had like a, a pre-programmed action thing. That kind of annoyed the shit out of me. I wanted to have hold control. And uh, so I was which always like... These days. Yeah. So there was no Godzilla toys like that. So I never was remotely interested in owning them other than they're cool. I actually remember, remember there used to be a comic shop slash toy slash baseball shop on like 33rd Street by Herald Square? Absolutely. And, and that, that place always in the window until they closed had that motorized Godzilla. Um, yes. I told, you know what? I remember that. And, and it's, that's, what, that's what, what I'm talking about. You yep. down the street and all of a sudden you'd see in the shop window and you never knew where or when you would see it and it would be a Godzilla piece. And, and, and all those things that you discussed, the Transformers, the, 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 the newer G.I. Joes, you know, He-Man, that was, that was all on my non-collecting phase. I didn't collect anything back then. I was, I was nothing. I mean, so that's, no. where the, that's where the, the, the slight age gap shows, because that was like, those were my toys, basically. Like, yeah, um, no, I had G.I. Joe in the, in the early 70s when he had the Kung Fu grip. And he was yeah. Like, and, and I remember getting the, the Search for the Mummy's Tomb set for Christmas one year. And that was so cool, because I'd take it to the beach. Yeah. Bury the Mummy case, and then he'd be digging for it. You know, I, I played hard with my toys. I wish I would have been more careful because I could have, like, retired already. I wish I held on to them. I have this – I've historically, even as an adult, have this thing where 
I, I have these toys and then I, I get over them for a little bit and I sell them off. And it's almost like altruistic where I'm like, I just want other people to play with them and I sell them cheap. And then I'm like, holy crap, that's probably like, I probably sold like $30,000 worth of toys off trying to be a nice guy and be lazy about it. But, but that's, that's good in a way because you have good toy karma and I do the same thing. Like, yeah, even on, even when I sell the stuff that we know is worth something, I, I've always been exceptionally fair with my price. At least I like to think I am. Um, I, I, do, I, do, I strongly believe in that and, that, and that means good things will come our way too. And, you know, with, with these groups, I mean, we're, we're sort of going off in different directions, but with these Facebook groups, these collecting groups, it's great nowadays because now you don't even have to list your stuff on eBay. You have such a connection with the community, you can just post a photo of it and say, hey man, this is what I'm selling it for, blah, blah, blah. And that's the way I do it now. I, I haven't used eBay in, in years now because it, it I've just, had to use uh, eBay recently because I had some stuff that just, what, A, I had a few things, like we can talk about this a little down the line, how the Godzilla, especially the X plus collectors like myself, it's, it's I don't know how people do it. I don't make enough I, I, I don't either, I, I don't either. I'm, I'm, I'm now, yeah, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah, so we, we, we could get, get, get back. Let, let's get back to that. But yeah, it's like, uh, so I try to have good toy karma. But I think that gap, which, which is probably like, even when I was in high school and while you're going into college, leaving high school, it's because, you know, what, what was the last one was 75, right? Was that the last Godzilla movie from remembering? Yeah, 75 and then 84. I graduated high school in 84. And then Godzilla 1985 came but, out. And I did go to the movies to see it. I saw it in the theater too didn't make that much of an impact believe it or not now i love it but when i saw it in the movies i i think the fact that i had already seen star wars and and all those sort of uh this is this, this is i i don't care if i'm saying this but like i expected more from it yeah because of what i had seen and, and I, I skipped the part star wars did take a big part of my my later elementary school that's what i was all about it's all about star wars yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely from us it, so, it, from, a, from a life perspective, uh, Star Wars had a bigger impact than Godzilla on me. But I Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers, all those things were like, I didn't get the toys, but I loved that, that, that genre of sci-fi was more my speed. Well, and it was also, uh, it was just in, in, in its own way more legit because, you know, when, when even leading into 84, Godzilla 84, you know, everyone knew the parody of the dubbing of the Godzilla movies and the man in suits and the wires. So like the, the more exposure would be like one crazy summer when Bobcat Goldthwait crushes the model or Pee Wee's Big Adventure, right? Which is, so if you were into them, you're like, oh, that's rad. But for like a gap, that's really all you really thought back on. You're right. And so right. where our paths cross over, so I would come in, you know, I'm from Levittown, Long Island, and we would go into the city um to skateboard or to you know get like our doc martin boots before you could get them on, anyway. on, 8th, street, on 8th street right yep which is longer shoot shoot shoe street they used to be all shooting <laughs> on 8th street so same thing same. we would check out the comic book shops and the record stores and so i would go to I, I didn't even know the names of it i just knew the places by by location so i would go into that store but instead of looking at godzilla stuff um i was more interested in gi joe stuff so i know there, there there's no doubt in my mind that at some point I was either browsing in that store while you were there or bought I, something. I, I definitely believe that. Because and there was, that was one of the rare stores at the time, especially in like the, the early late eighties, early nineties that would have some older GI Joe toys, reasonably priced, still boxed. 
And they yes. weren't really collectors things yet. They were just old stock that hadn't gone anywhere. Like I think I got like started, a just starting to to to, to cross over to that phase of being like sought after yeah. collectibles. And um, you know, do you do you remember also uh, what's the name of the store? Forbidden Planet. Oh yeah, I mean the basement when they when they were on their original location on like Eleventh Street yeah, or yeah. Cross Street, right like right next to Strand, right? Yep. Yeah. They were across. They were across the street. Across the street. Now, now they're on the same side. But they now they're on the same side. Yeah. Um, I remember real quick story. Um, uh, I would go in there. This is when I actually moved to the city, and I didn't have a lot of money. I was working in restaurants. I was doing a little bit of theater, and I, of course, Children of Paradise on weekends. They had a great monster series, King Ghidra, hanging over that big table where they had all the toys. You could kind of play with them. Yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about? You go downstairs. And he was on wire, on fishing wire. And I was like, damn, I want that so bad. It's so cool. A, I didn't have the room in my tiny apartment. B, there's <laughs> no way I had the money. And C, it wasn't for sale. But yet, my dumb ass would keep asking, hey, how much is that Ghidra? Like, every time I went in there. And they'd be like, um, not for sale, man. Other people just want to sell that. I did that, like, for, you know, months and months, maybe about up to a year, up to a year. And then one day I went in there, went downstairs, and it was gone. And my heart sank. I'm like, what happened to the gator that was hanging up there? Oh, yeah, we sold that. I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, F you. That's, F you. That's curse worthy. Yeah, sorry. so it, it's, um, for me, I ended up getting more into, so I ended up going into NYU. Like, uh, through my college adventure, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I, I ended up navigating towards film. And ended up at NYU, and I wanted to make uh, Jackie Chan movies, basically. So the years that I was there uh, was really the, the the peak of people discovering John Woo movies, or or about to blow up. So Hard Boiled and The Killer, I could you could go to the Film Forum or the Quad and actually see them in a theater. Or the Angelica, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, uh, Tarantino was just about to release Reservoir Dogs. I saw that at the Angelica when it when it came out. Um, and being a film student, it was like, everyone's like, you got to go to Kim's video. And it was in Kim's video that I, I, I learned that there were other Godzilla movies after 84. I had no idea. Me too. That's where that, I saw it. That any of that stuff happened. And this was still the days of VHS and Laserdisc. So <laughs> I was like, you know, I started watching them. And then through that, I actually started going back and buying some of the, the, the older, you know, like, $5 VHS tapes of, of the Godzilla movies. And, and the unfortunate part is, as much as you love them, you start to go like, wow, some of these are, man, this might be sacrilege. People are going to get mad at me. Some of them are like really bad. Like they don't hold up well. They're super slow. Um, and it's just yes. like already a different level of attention span for me. But it's also like the times have just changed. And that's made it really hard for my kids to get in them, into them because they're just... A, they look corny and they can deal with corny for a bit, but they're super slow moving. But it was that like rebirth of it where like, oh man, these monsters are cool. And around that time, then Trendmaster started to come out. But I also like wasn't, I was collecting like Spawn figures started coming out around that time. And the Star Wars re-releases. I was buying all the power of the Force stuff when that got re-released. Um, and it just wasn't finding the line. Oddly enough, I don't even know, remember what the initial thing was like. Literally, I guess I only started collecting six years ago, maybe seven years ago when I started with Kim. Kim and I were going out. It has to be even less, maybe six years ago. 
Kim and I were living together and somehow we came across monster arts. And finally, you know, if you go back to my GI Joe with articulated stuff, I'm like, <gasps> articulated yeah, yeah. badass Godzilla thing. So actually the first one I got was a gift for her. I got her a, a little Godzilla figure, which is the only one left of my monster arts collection. I remember that story. You talked about that with Brian, I think. Yeah. Right? So I started buying those and then I got to admit, like they were really cool looking, but man, they were fragile. Wait, and, wait hold on. They were before your X plus? Yeah, they were before my X plus. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. So I, I was fortunate. Had already been sort of on the map a little bit when they came out. So yeah, you're you're a little bit of a late bloomer when it comes to that stuff. But super super late bloomer. Hey, um, good. It was sort of like finding the right. It, it was a matter of finding the right line to open my eyes. And I've I've grown to appreciate Bandai's, but like I've never you know again with that articulation thing and sometimes on the detail. Sometimes I'm just like I. I I, I appreciate how people like some of these. I just don't, I feel like there's better action figures out there, but that's changed a bit. But uh, so, so, so the, the Monster Arts were a great, great, great gateway, but I got over the price of them. I got over the fragility of them. And I was fortunate that when I did start trying to sell those off as I was starting to get into X Plus, some of those had gotten worth a lot of money. Absolutely. So even if I was doing a deal, I was still making money off of it. Of course. But like, I know, like, I sold, I had, like, the first King Ghidorah, and uh, I think it might have been before I was part of a group, or maybe it was definitely before I was in one of the groups with you guys, uh, but I sold that on eBay for sick money to some dude in Germany, you yeah. know, like, uh, before they started, this was before they started re-releasing everything, so I started selling that stuff off to get the X Pluses, and then that collection sort of grew, and, and, and nicely in my fitness marketing, <laughs> I was able to use them so much that I became known almost as like a Godzilla guy. So I was actually, I'm actually able to write off my collection because- That's great. I didn't know that. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't spend a ton of money on it anymore. And, and, and you know, I, I actually just sold like nine figures over the last year. I mean, I'm still getting others in, but like not to the same level. I just came to this point where- you know, we, this is where we can talk about how much money. So, folks, average cost of an X Plus figure uh, in the 30, centim uh, 30 millimeter line, which is what I generally focus on, can be anywhere from like $130 to like $300. And, yep. and that's new, basically. You know, that's not even looking for a collector market. And, you know, I, I've acquired a lot of them over the years. Um, but some of the people in the group get every single one that comes out um, no matter what the size and there, there's a size called gigantic and those could be easily four to 600 bucks or more. And I'm not judging anybody on it, but like, I'm a fit, I'm a, I'm a fitness educator and trainer. Like I just don't have that. And there's also this point. And you also live in New York. Space is a commodity too. Space is a okay. commodity and rents are the cost of living is huge. I but you know, it. after my first couple of trips to Tokyo, I'm like, you know, the money that we're spending on the toys are trips to places. And I let, let's really like logistically log into my head that, you know, I would rather go to Tokyo and come home with like a hundred dollars worth of toys and have been in Tokyo than to have $2,000 worth of toys from Tokyo. And never, never even make, make the attempt to go to Tokyo. I, I agree with you 1000%. And let me just chime in. I think my, in my collecting journey, which has changed a lot. And if I, if, if I can, I'll quickly tell you my evolution real quick. Please. Bandai. Bandai was my first, of course, aside from the Aurora kit that I had when I was a kid. 
Then I started getting into the garage kits, Billiken, uh, Kyoto. I had all the little Kyoto model kits. So I started learning how to build and paint my own kits. If, if I couldn't find a toy, I, the kits would be ruined. And then the kits got bigger and more expensive. And, and then I started going into the resin kits a little bit. And then I moved to San Francisco and I discovered a whole different group of shops there. Children, I'm not Children of Paradise, sorry. Kimono My House, Heroes Club, which is a huge influence on my life. Also, um, uh, a little bit later on, Super 7, which does the, the sort of the, the stylized Marmot, you know, M1 style toy. So anyway, real quick, I remember I sold an item on eBay to a guy who lived in San Francisco and he lived on Fillmore Street, lower, lower film in a lower, lower height. And I used to work on Upper Fillmore Street and he, he messaged me and said, hey, do you want to just like meet up and, I, and then you, you don't have to ship it, I don't have to pay shipping. I'm like, totally. So he invited me to his house. I went after work one day and I went up there. This is Brian Flynn, one of the owners of Super 7. Oh, wow. And he had a really extensive vintage Bullmark Marathon and M1 collection. I'm like, whoa, like I had seen them in magazines, like, like you know, Hobby Japan and stuff, but I never really saw them in person, especially masked out like that. And, and I definitely give him credit or blame him, whatever you want to do. <laughs> For, for, for getting me into the, the sort of stylized Marmot M1, you know, colorful, fun figures. And, and, and that's how that started. And then after that, then X Plus came soon after that. Now, now which brings me to now, let me finish because I'll lose my turn if I'm um, <laughs> um, uh, Now, just like what you said, I love things that I purchase on experience, experiences. Like if I go to um, G-Fest, which you definitely need to go to next year. Okay. I'm hoping. A figure I get at G-Fest, a figure I pick up hand pick in Japan. Um, maybe not, I, you know, you can't, you can only buy so much when you're over there. And that to me is the heart of my collection. Things that friends who are so kind to go to Kaiju Sakaba, <laughs> That they all have like places of, of of honor in my collection because they're 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 like I can I can relate them to an experience or an emotion, not just I'm gonna get every single X plus figure that comes out. And you know, again, no judgments, I'm not judging anybody, but some of these young people, it blows my mind. They've never even seen the films, you know? See, and and, and for me, it all stems from my love of the films. Yeah. And not that's right or wrong, that's just me. And, and if I don't like a film, like I hate Final Wars, um, I, w I don't have a single figure from Final Wars. See, I, I get stuck as a completionist a lot of the times. And that definitely happened when I started getting into X Plus. Uh, I think I got in, uh, like, uh, I think I started buying X Plus around 2014. I think the Gargantuas had just sort of come and sold out, right? I think that was, and, and, and then, so I was trying to fill in the gaps of, of what I had missed there but it would have been re-released by Diamond and then started going, you know, becoming a Mike Johnson guy and then getting stuff uh, through Ami Ami. Um, but I didn't know about Marmots or any of that stuff uh, until I joined the group. Like that was all pretty new, but I, I, I have, I did start to realize that, man, you know, like a plane ticket, hotels in, in, in Japan are relatively cheap. Like it's once you're there, Food and lodging is cheap, but the airfare is about you're going to spend fourteen to eighteen hundred dollars to get to Tokyo. 
You're right. And, and then you're going to spend maybe like, you know, 40 bucks. If you get a 40 bucks on one of those rail passes, you're going to be able to get basically everywhere you want to go in Tokyo. And you can walk to a ton of the places too. Absolutely. And I just, it's so easy to spend like, especially this company X plus folks, like they put out like probably over, like if you were a completionist, easily over a thousand dollars every five to six weeks, probably worth of toys. If you were buying oh, everything. That's, that's definitely a safe bet. Right. I mean, it's insane. And then, yeah. And, and then the aftermarket, it just goes even more. I mean, the aftermarket does two things. Either it goes down or it goes up. And, and, you know, typically these days it's going up like your gargantuas now people are, they're like, even the, even the reissues are super hot again. Like they're like, every once in a while, something gets super hot. That's, that's the most expensive thing I think that's in my collection that I, I know I paid more for, but that was actually, I picked those up after my trip to Okinawa. I, I had this like crazy travel bit and I was like, I'm going to buy my, I didn't buy anything while I was out there. Although I, I did like, again, another thing through the group, I got to go to Ron Nix's Godzilla museum while I was out there. I was going to ask you that. You went, you went to Okinawa, you have to see Ron Nix, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my first trip to, 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 to uh, Japan folks, uh, me, Josh Hankin and Travis Johnson did a thing for the military. We were doing two education programs for uh, militaries in Camp Forrester in Okinawa. We had two amazing hosts, Faith and David, and they showed us everywhere, but they weren't expecting that I was going to be like, oh, I know a guy that has a Godzilla museum. And, you know, we got to meet Ron and, and his wife. And, and, and Ron's a collector and he's a, a former military. He's a veteran who has a martial arts dojo and which is right next, like connected basically right next to his, his house. And then in this small, like, but narrow, long room, he's got a complete Godzilla toy museum. And it is fascinating like i hope to see it one day i hope to see it one day and ron and his wife they're like sweethearts right like they're just the nicest most generous people it was just it was crazy and then you realize you're in okinawa the land where you know king caesar uh, is everywhere basically i'm not gonna break into song don't worry <laughs> um but so that was sort of the start and then when i got into tokyo to teach like literally that's the first time i reached out to you I don't think I'd reached out to Kyle yet, but it was you and Dell that helped me a lot on that one. And it was like, they actually had fun because, you know, most people go to like, if somebody comes to New York, they're going to want to see the same three things. Nobody's ever asked them to go to Nakano Broadway or Akihabara or something like that. So they showed me around and, you know, you want to buy everything, but it's still expensive and you have to bring it home. It is expensive. And, and like, I would never go to Japan to buy X plus figures. You know, they're, they're bulky, they're big. Yeah. Honestly, you can get them a lot easily here. You, you can secure them easily here. So, no, I was um, looking for some marmots. I got, I got, and I, I got my, I got my one sort of grail figure. Um, unfortunately it will never be signed now, but I got my Nakajima M1, um, with the hopes of, Japan. that's fantastic. I did. I got that one at Akihabara. That's fancy. Now that is fantastic. When, when we were, um, we went for my 50th birthday. Um, and I'm not going to say what year, but recently, <laughs> and, um, uh, I, I was looking to pick up my first vintage piece because I had, you know, reproduction. I never actually didn't own a vintage piece up until that point. And I had some specific things in mind, but I really wanted to get a Godzilla. And I, I went to the, the usual suspects, you know, Mandarake, uh, the shops in Akihabara, you know, um, uh, Monster, Monster Lab and these other places. And there's also a Mandarake in Akihabara too. Did you get to go to that one? That's actually where I got it. That's where I, I got my M1. I have all the yeah. stairs. 
there's too scary. Um, uh, anyway, it, we went back to Nakano Broadway like a third time, and there's well for the, for those listeners who don't know, Nakano Broadway is like mecca for Godzilla toy collecting, Japanese fantasy toy collecting, and they have these things called showcase shops, and most of them are secondhand; they're not new, right? It's like a consignment sort of deal, um, and, and they always have to let you know this is not new. It is, it, you know, it is what it is. But in Japan, that means it's pretty much perfectly pristine. So yeah. So they didn't have anything. They had a couple things that were super expensive, but no Godzilla. So um, I sort of separated from the pack and went around the corner on one of the floors, and they had a couple of um, Japanese antique stores, and I spied in the wind in one of the cases two uh, Bullmark. Godzilla, one was blue and one was green. And the condition that I could see was so good, I thought they were repros. But I, I asked the man in my broken Japanese, may I please see those, you know, and, and asked how much they were. And, and I think the one that I bought was like 160 bucks. Okay. And, and I, I even asked him, is this new or old? You know, what I, I, my broken Japanese. And he said, oh, it's old. And then I'm looking at it and then I remember smelling it like the smell of old vinyl has a certain distinct smell to it and i saw a little tiny you know dust creases in the cracks i'm like oh my god this is a vintage piece and i handpicked on my birthday trip my first vintage the very first godzilla bullmark toy ever 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 made so that to me is super special and it wasn't even that expensive so that's the kind of thing i'm talking about and, and that you're referring to too yeah now, it wasn't expensive. It wasn't like big or flashy, but it was like super, super sentimental to me. And 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 then I ended up finding another one in a different shop um, in Nakano, but it wasn't where all the stuff was. It was over to the left. There's like a little alleyway, and there's a little tiny place upstairs, and you have to take your backpack off to go in. Yep. Did you go there? And they had two. They had two Popey medium-sized Popey Godzilla figures. Popey is another company that created um, early Godzilla toys in Japan. Yeah. Um, one was looked really new. The other one was kind of kind of beat up. But the man said to me, he said, do you want one that's beautiful or do you want one that's worth more? And I said, I said, well, what, what's the difference? He goes, well, this one has the kid's name on the bottom and this one doesn't. And the one that was beat up did not have it on. And the one that was beautiful did. I'm like, I want that one. And it was like $100 less because in the collecting world, for whatever reason, the fact that it had... The kid, and it was really neatly written too. The kid's, you know, name written in, in kanji on the on the foot. So I was like, I took that. Now that was under two hundred dollars, also. Yeah, that's so, amazing. So those kind of stories, like that's what you'll find when you go to Japan if you want to explore and and do that kind of stuff. So you you, I'm so jealous of Okinawa. Hokkaido is first for us. Okinawa is the next next time. <laughs> I, mean, I always wanted to take the, the the bullet train like they did in King Kong versus Godzilla and go up to Hokkaido, and. Um, but anyway, that that was awesome, and then um, I lost my train of thought. But anyway, go ahead. No, it, it it's true. It, it it's funny. There's some some things that I've gotten while I've been out there, and then there's certain things I've actually had to come back. Like I have the uh, theater run that Red Theater Shin Godzilla, but I, I got that I believe through Mike Johnson. I'm trying to remember offhand because like that movie means a lot to me just because it's like I was there, I got to see it. That's when there was an exhibit happening. It was like it was a huge deal to be out there. Did you get to see the exhibit when you were there? Yeah, uh, I didn't get to go to this. The, the that year was I'm forgetting the name of the exhibit, but there was a massive exhibit in uh, I believe it was Yokohama. What was the DNA exhibit? Yeah, and it was holy crap! 
I know. That I was know. like day, I think that was my first day in Japan too, like first full day. And that's where they took me. And it was breathtaking. Um, and then, so I, I wanted to get this. Did, did, did you get to go to the Toho studios and see the bronze statue? That we didn't yet. Admittedly, the first time I was out there, my, my, my host was like, Toho's a little out of the way. There's no real tour. It's the statue. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, cause I've always, I've never had two weeks there. It's always like, I'm going to teach on a weekend. So I'm usually, no, I, I, I understand, but, I'm usually but, landing on a Thursday, having Friday off or as a prep day, teaching Saturday, Sunday, and then maybe Monday, Tuesday. This was the first trip where I was, I was there at a full five days off. Cool. Oh, wow. Well, well, a recommendation. Okay. Next time you go and you, you find yourself with a little free time, definitely go because you get off at a train station, which is a little bit further out um, in an area called Ultraman, Ultraman Town. And there's a whole neighborhood, a long street that is solely uh, dedicated to, to Ultraman and Ultraman Monsters. It's like an so Ultraman cafe. There's statues everywhere. There's banners. You walk, walk down the whole street and it's no the way. idea. And it's on the way to Toho Studio. So if you do that, okay, it's not just looking at a statue. And as far as that goes, it is looking at a statue, but behind the statue, there's a gigantic mural of seven samurai, okay? I mean, it's bigger than life. And then you go around the corner and you peek into the parking lot. There's a huge Mothra mural. I mean, it's more than... I I definitely got to make it happen. I I think I keep hoping that I'm going to make a connection, uh, potentially either through Godzilla World or through my visual effects background, to actually get some sort of a tour. Like I've not done that yet, so that that, that would be the the ideal. But then, and and the thing I, I even forgot to say, when you turn the corner to walk down the street from a certain direction, you see the gigantic 19... Uh, 92 or I think 93 Godzilla mural, which is like huge. It's wow. huge. You see it for blocks when you come down the street. So all I'll, those I'll, make, I'll make it a trip on the next one. You, you sold uh, me. Hopefully, yeah. fingers crossed, I'm going back. Hopefully, yeah, no, you're, you're next definitely year. going back. And and you know, it's it's an afternoon for sure out of your out of your trip, but it's inexpensive, and it's it's and you you won't forget it. And and you know, my first time seeing it. I've seen it twice so far, and I don't think we're going to see it this particular trip because we've got other things going on. But my first experience was when I went with Kyle to do his documentary, um, Hail to the King. And if you've not seen it, people, Fun Kyle, film. Hail, Hail to the King documentary, it was one of the most awesome things I've ever done in my life. It's super I, cool. It, folks, it, it's on YouTube. You, you should look it up. And, and I, I, he, we, we, we did a... Uh, um, the interview at Coco Bungie Studios, which is um, uh, these young people who are bringing back the suit acting style, tokusatsu style of, of, of uh, movies into this century, like into this modern day, which we think was great. But anyway, he didn't tell me we were going to the Godzilla statue and the mural. And he wanted at some point on the trip to do a little kind of interview with me to, to, to say, you know, just check in and, and give me a little piece little tiny piece on the documentary and we did the interview in front of the giant Godzilla mural <laughs> which was like at sunset with the cicadas going in the background it was like I can't believe I'm here like this this little you know kid who was a fan in the 70s from Pine Beach New Jersey gets to gets to do this and 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 I, I felt like so grateful for that moment and and I guess all my toy karma paid off at that moment <laughs> yeah you know isn't there something so amazingly special about just the name Toho like when you go to it like I like seeing that movie or, or being at the Hotel Gracery uh it's attached to it you're, you're like I'm in a Toho cinema 
And we went and I saw the, the cinema. I, I didn't get to do that. I, I went to the Gracery, but I never went to the movie. So you, you did something that I've never done. I've never seen it. I've yeah, it's, uh, I, I've been fortunate. I, not the best of movies, uh, but I got to see Shin Godzilla there. And then the following year was when um, uh, the Godzilla anime, the first one, came out. So I got to see that in a theater, in the same theater that I saw Shin Godzilla at. So we talk about nostalgic factor. Like I have the the two original figures that came out for that movie. I don't mind the first one. The second one's really hard to watch. I, but those, but those figures mean a lot to me because I was there to see it in the theater. Of course. But we did check out the Habia statue um, that's at the smaller Toho studio in town. By definitely the definitely going to see that. Definitely going to see that. Um, and I've, that was pretty cool. I've never seen the Ginza statue. I don't even know if it's still there. They, they had a. Is that where? Uh, it it might be considered the same one. I think it's the same thing because Habia and, and Ginza are kind of like yeah, right there next to each other. I we never for whatever reason made it to see that, um, but um, we are going to you know check out the new statue and and you know the hotel is great. We you know we we didn't stay at the hotel, but Kyle Keith and I you know uh, we we had some free time. I guess one night and, and we just went to the hotel and we sat outside in November, it was still warm out. And we had a Japanese whiskey underneath the Godzilla head, you know, looking over, you know, Shinjuku, which was just like. It's uh, I, the, the first, so the first time I went out to Tokyo, uh, the last night I was there, uh, I, I, I stayed at, in a Godzilla viewing room. It wasn't the official Godzilla. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I'm. I, it was like a last minute decision. I'm like, I'm, I'm coming out here. It's, it's it was available. I think the hotel was pretty new and i just spent basically a day being like i can't believe i'm looking out the fucking window and then there's this godzilla is right there um that's awesome stuff i had friends from long island that went this year and their son vlad hater the rudnicks um is a big godzilla fan and they actually booked just for him the godzilla room itself and i hadn't seen a lot of like video or anything and it's crazy but it's it's hard to get into and it's really expensive. I was I'm trying to like I'm not gonna blow my whole actual earnings of my trip on a room. And but the uh, amount of time that you're gonna spend in there is so minimal that it's not it's not really worth it. To see it is one thing, and to go to the hotel is one thing, and to you know be around the head. But uh, no, I, I don't think I would justify that either. And and, and I've got to be honest, like this is I mentioned this, I, I did like an Asia recap um on the last episode of the show. Shinjuku is the only place that I get, I, I, I've almost felt like I've almost been like mugged or attacked by the, by the barkers there. Like, it's oh, just sure. a, yeah, it's, 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 it's a sketchy place if you're alone. And usually like, like this time, the, the first time when I was there staying at the hotel, like, you know, I went out, I'm drinking, I'm in the evening, I'm drinking a monster energy drink. I do have my tattoos showing and uh, that is still viewed as taboo there. And I to that i've got it too yeah so it's a weird thing and you know uh i mentioned this on the last podcast i I almost feel like it almost comes off sounding racist but it's just a fact like there's nigerian mafia and the yakuza uh are get heavily involved in certain types of restaurants and the nigerians tend to be the english-speaking people trying to lure people to come in tourists to come in and you know drinks women whatever yeah the hostess restaurants right yeah yeah and and what happens is is like you may get potentially get drugged or you may get a check that is five times more than it should be worth um but they're very aggressive right and and having people outside to try to get you into their venue is a very standard japanese practice it happens at a lot of restaurants 
But the trick that I've, I've heard is uh, they, if, if they're gentlemen around those restaurants, they'll be, if they're legit, they're going to be very well dressed and they're going to largely speak Japanese. Because in Japan, there's not a lot of like English speaking. It's not like we think we just go almost everywhere and everyone knows a, a good amount of English. It's, not, it's just not like that. Um, so yeah, this guy got very, I think, frustrated, angry with me, thinking that I looked like a tattooed rocker guy that was going to want to go and party. And then I kept denying him because I'm like, dude, I'm just looking for Godzilla toys. Like, literally, I'm like looking for Godzilla oh, toys. That's, that's interesting. I mean, and, I, I've, not heard, I've not had that experience. And it happened to me uh, again uh, when I was out this time. Uh, I, I went, we went to the robot restaurant, ran into some friends completely randomly ran into some friends and then went out for dinner. And then after the people that were hosting me, Travis Akari went home, I went out on my own to go meet my friends uh, around golden guy. And I don't really know that part of the area, but it's that same five block radius of Shinjuku. Wait, which, which, which golden guy. It's like drunkards alley. Oh. It's like this like narrow part. It, it, it's right near the robot restaurant and hotel grocery, but it's just a very narrow couple of alleys with like a ton of stacked bars. Um, yeah, I think I know that. I think we, Kyle and I walked by that area. Shinjuku, for those who don't know, it's so congested. It's so busy. That is one of the few places that we got lost too. Like, yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's, it's hard to get your bearings, but again, I, so I was trying to meet my friends up. I didn't know exactly where I was going and I just had these really aggressive dudes coming at me. You know, they're shaking your hand, trying to be nice, following you though. Oh no! See, that's not. Good. And you're like, oh shit! Here we go, and uh, you know, uh, navigated it fine. But it, there's something about it. Like it's the only neighborhood where I get a vibe where I'm like, it's exciting to be here, but it's also like alone, not great. If you're with somebody, you're fine. But being alone, especially if you're like clearly not from there, and then looking on your phone for directions every now and then, and I'm trying to be responsible about it, not so I'm like super tourist. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's the only part that I get sketched out in. No, that's but I met him and everything is fine. I've never heard that before because typically, I mean, what I've discovered on my this this will be my fourth time in February is that um, it's pretty clean and it's pretty safe. But again, you might want to steer clear of that vicinity at night when people are drinking. It, it that's is. Probably, it, that's probably the key. It's specific to like. It's I think you're actually fairly specific to like a four block radius of that part of Shinjuku. Yeah, I mean that's probably best. And and you know because they do like to party. Japanese people love to party, and you know, but but that's you know I wouldn't really worry about that happening if if you decide to go. But again, it's good. That's a good heads up because I I didn't know that even existed. Like I knew yeah. about. The and and, and the, the women will be real sweet to you but then when you get in like you said your checks like okay how much was that that beer how much was that Sapporo you know yeah it was funny my buddy gave me a heads up a little bit about like on that first year about what to watch out for because apparently uh anywhere where there's like a lot of condensed nightlife like that's a potential but he was just like you know tell me a little bit of history because we were talking about the Yakuza stuff because the, the Hotel Gracery is actually the only place uh, that I was asked to, if I had a long sleeve shirt, even though I was a guest there, um, because of the tattoos. And he was just telling me a little bit about it. Like, yeah, it's like Yakuza still around. It's very much like a New York type of mafia. Like it exists. It's a lot more legit, but there's obviously elements. But he was saying how there's this like immigrant um, growing thing with, and they tend to be uh, a lot of Nigerian folks coming over. And it's like, I guess, like a good opportunity for them to leave and, and build a business there shady as the business might be 
Um, and then I was like, <laughs> three nights later, I'm like getting harassed by somebody. I'm like, holy shit, it's happening. Wow, that's, that's, that's crazy. I, I, I didn't know that, that. If you Google it, you'll, you'll hear of stories. Like some of them are really sketchy about like, um, you know, getting basically drugged, getting roofied and kind of waking up with nothing but your passport you know, and, and your clothes and that type of thing. So, well, well, uh, well, the good thing is for us, you and I, we're a little bit more street smart having lived in New York and New Jersey. Yeah. And, and you know, cause that, that went on for, you know, in New York and we, we kind of recognize that a mile away. So, but the tattoo issue is kind of a real thing for those people who, who do have tattoos. I have two full sleeves and um, I kind of bummed about it because I, I want to go into the public baths yeah, we can still the but they have to be private or they have to be when no one else is in it. So it's a little bit more, more, more difficult to, to, to get in there. But Kyle actually found some places in uh, Sapporo that, that accept tattoos that are, it's cool with tattoos because it is, it is pretty cool to go into a public Japanese bath and do like they do. We did it the first year in 06 when, when it was just Keith and I going and we had really small tattoos and you couldn't really see them. So we were able to do it. So I did it once. And then the last trip, um, I didn't, we didn't do it with Kyle because that was summer. And I don't, you know, honestly, I don't know how I got around that because we had definitely did not wear, it was hot, it was August. So, yeah. you know, hot but uh, when we go in February, it's not going to be an issue, man. We're going to be bundled up. So that's, <laughs> that's yeah, this, this year I brought around, like this year I was a, a little more conscious too of just, uh, I, I definitely went more temple sightseeing this time and trying and looking at trying. So I, I, I tended to carry like a button up or something if I needed just to be respectful. Cause that's the other thing I talked about this on the last episode. The, the, the amazing thing about, you know, even a city like Tokyo, that's a dense city, like Tokyo's massive. You could be like within stores and apartment complexes. And then all of a sudden there's like an ancient temple, like, yep. like I mid, love love mid block. It's just, you just look in and you're like, you know, I, I was telling the story how I literally, you know, um, I'm going to mispronounce the name of it. Singuchi, Singuki Temple. It's the 47 Ronin Temple. Like it's right in the middle of uh, like a bunch of apartments. Wow. And you're like, wow. wow, there's actually within this is this amazing temple where they're buried, right? Like a shrine where they're buried. And there's a well, uh, like, a, a, like a, an area where like, yeah, where they were beheaded. This is where they wash the heads. And you're like. But then there's people like living like right down the street. Yep, it's yep, yep. so weird. It's this, it's this harmonious like juxtaposition of old and new, which yeah. Japan, has such an appeal for me in Japan. It's really obvious in Kyoto because Kyoto is such an old city. You'll see like, you know, by the train station, you see vending, 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 vending shrine, like an old shrine with moss and stuff on it. And, 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 and it, it exists harmoniously or from what I can see as an outsider harmoniously. I'm sure there's a little you know, stuff, but, but let me ask you this, what Godzilla landmarks did you see on your, your visits to Japan? That's always an interesting question. Oh, you mean like actually from the movies? From the movies, like, like, like locations where this happened or that happened. I have to be honest. I suck at that. Um, I'm never even looking that up. I, I know like every now and then I'm like walking around, I'm like, Oh, I recognize that building. But yeah. my, my recall on specifics like that is horrible. Okay, no, that's so, cool. That's, that's so I'm very destination-driven, like, you know, like, hitting the stores and stuff. So, for me, it's like, this one was, I, I, I'm also, like, I like to browse and potentially get lost. And, and aside from this issue in, in Shujuku, Japan is super safe, right? So, like, 
I, I, I'll just walk and I, I won't really worry if I get lost. And I've been there enough where there's a couple of major streets or landmarks where I'm like, I know if I'm relatively parallel to, I, I know I can find my way back. Um, but I like to just get lost. So I'm not even thinking about that. And this year was the first one where I'm like, okay, of my Godzilla spots, because uh, I always, I never go assuming I'm going back. I knew I wanted to go to Nakano because I didn't go last year. I didn't go to Akihabara last year. I stumbled across Amiami, so I, I was excited to go in there. Um, but then I knew, and I knew I wanted to go back to Harajuku just because I had only been there very briefly. Yeah, I've not, I've not been to Harajuku. Man, it's a, it's an interesting spot. I was there the night before Halloween, so there were not only people dressed freaky for Harajuku, but there were people, like, scaring people on the street. <laughs> Luckily, no one messes. That's where, like, no one was messing with the tattoo guy, though. Oh, no, um, fit right in with that yeah so it it was uh but the temple there was closed that there, there, there's the big uh meiji temples right right outside of that so uh you know it was more like i want to go here i'm going to go there and then i'm going to wander so in terms of looking for like movie locations that's where i sort of like didn't pay any attention it's um when when i have been there i was kind of like in your mindset like i'm not really seeking it but then again like wait a minute Wait a minute. Tokyo Tower, obviously. Yeah. To, I, I, I've been staying for uh, every year that I've been out there. I basically lived, stay four blocks from Tokyo Tower. So that, that, of course, we all know that. But but we were, um, Kyle, Keith, and I, one day after lunch, we went to Ueno Park. Okay. Mm. And there's a statue of, of a, a monk or someone with a staff and a, and a Shiba Inu at his feet. And I'm looking around, I'm like, wait, what, what's that? And it, it was in the back of my mind, it looked familiar. And then weeks later, when I went home, I watched Gidra the Three-Headed Monster. It's when the prophetess from, from Venus is like, she's doing the speech in the park. It's, that, it's right there, right in that spot. And then, and then the first time that, that we went to Japan, we were in Hakone. And you know, a lot of stuff happened in Hakone, you know, Mount Fuji, this and that. We are on this river, this lake cruise on this big, beautiful boat, you know, we had lunch on it and everything. And it was on Lake Ashinoko. And the name sort of didn't really click. And I'm taking all these pictures and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, this is like years later. I'm like, wait a minute, Lake Ashinoko, that's where Biolante was. <laughs> so I was like right in the middle of the lake where that, that went down. Mm -hmm. So that kind of stuff is, it's silly, but it's fun, you know? And it, you know, you reminded me there were there were actually two spots I did see and I and I, I, I spaced on this. So we went to Kamakura, which I've never been to before. Oh, and uh, they took me. Um, gosh, I'm, again, I'm going to blow. I feel like I have the name of the temple somewhere over here, but they took me to another temple and you have it has an overlook of the beach. And my friend Taizo literally was like, that's the beach that Shin Godzilla emerges from. But he'd also gone online and found somebody drew like camera directional maps of where no the angles would be <laughs> of him coming up. For real? And then the host facility that does uh, one of my courses every year, this place, uh, Makoto is the owner, uh, Fitbox Funk. It, it's part of, part of the neighborhoods, right? Where, you know, when the, um, the first form or second form of Shin comes up and he's in the little canal and all the books, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's like right around there. So he's like, that's where that came out. <laughs> wait, 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 that's Kamakura too? Uh, no, this is um, closer. Uh, it's it's still part of Tokyo. I'm forgetting the district that it's in, though. Interesting. Interesting. Um, 
because he's a Godzilla fan. So like, that's the cool thing. When I go to teach, they're not expecting like the American instructor to be a full blown Japanese nerd. Cause I can talk about that. And I can talk about, you know, the Kurosawa films. Um, they get a kick out of it, but you know, some of them are fans. So we, we taught at a, the, the Taiko university, university of science we we just taught a kettlebell certification and the teacher uh who's sort of the the head coach of the people going through the fitness program uh is a big ultraman fan so like the last year when we were looking at the place he was like you know i haven't watched a lot of ultraman um but he he was like you have to watch ultra seven that's the one (laughs) ultraman is more popular in japan than godzilla i mean you see ultraman everywhere like it's their superman it's their superhero it's their from the ground well, up. It, it's been constant. What I don't think a lot of people realize, and I certainly didn't, same thing with like Power Rangers until I had, you know, but my son got into it a while ago. He's, he's out of it now, but those shows never stopped. No, they keep so going, like, yeah. U- Ultraman, there's like, you know, every year there's a new series or a new movie. Um, and it just, started in 1966. And it's, it's crazy. Yep, yep, yeah. Yep. So, you know, I know for me, the big one was to finally dive in. I remember catching it every now and then on TV in the States. But uh, I watched Ultraman Jeed, which I know a lot of people hated. I, I kind of loved it. Um, I, didn't catch, I didn't catch that one. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Showa Ultraman guy because I, along with Godzilla, around the same time, like soon after I saw Monster Zero, um, I started to, 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 I discovered that... Ultraman was on Channel 17, which is a Philadelphia station, which I, you probably didn't get them on. Yeah, I didn't. We the, South Jersey, we got New York, Connecticut, and Philly stations, which was like, that's why I, I have such a love for all these films. Anyway, long story short, I used to run home from school to make sure I got home in time to watch Ultraman. So I've been watching it, the dub version, since I was a little kid. So oh, wow. adults who like Ultraman, I understand it's groovy, it's cool, it's connected to Subaraya. Mine has, I have a nostalgic connection to it as well as that, as all that. So, you know, at G-Fest, to meet Hiroko Sakurai, who was Fuji on the show, was like, what? Blow my mind. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm hugging Fuji, who I used to watch every day, and I came home from school. So it's like, and, and, and that kind of thing. So, um, but no, Ultraman is, is huge. And um, uh, one thing I do want to say, I know I'm talking way too much. I hope, I hope it's No, okay. please. I'm loving it. Uh, um, we, we um, when... One of the main reasons that Kyle wanted to do the, the documentary when we did it was they had the Godzilla's 60th anniversary exhibit in, in Ikibukuro in the Sunshine Building. And not only was that incredible and like life altering for me to see the actual prop they used in the, the actual destroyer prop they used in the 54 film, they had the diving helmet. Yeah. So many great show props that are still existing and movie scripts and this and that, whatever. Um, they had Heisei, a lot of Heisei stuff too. But in the next building over, and still in the Sunshine Building, they had an Ultraman exhibit, which they do every summer. So we got to see that too, wow. which was like mind blowing for me to see props that they used in suits and suits and, and artifacts from those movies too. So, I mean, you just, it, it sounds like too good to be true, but when, you, when you're over there, if you take a little time to ask people who have been, and, and, and to just, you know, see what's going on at, at the time you're going, I'm sure there's, there will be something there that, 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 you know, you'll love to see. Because all year round, there, there's different festivals. Wonderfest, Summer, summer, summer uh, Wonderfest, Winter Wonderfest, um, 
the 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 DNA exhibit, which I which is it's basically what Kyle and I saw, but expanded like even more. Like they, they kept they keep adding. To it, and and so. it's, I've just been very. There is something almost all the time. I, you know, I know. I forgot Kyle. You know, he checked in. There was the the the, the 64th birthday party. Yes, yes, I missed yes. it where they had the the sixty four suit. You know, sorry, the fifty four suit walking oh around. Oh my god! I would have, how, how much would I have killed to photograph that that suit? Man, I couldn't. You know, and I was there like literally the day before. Oh, um, oh no! But I taught. I taught the whole day. That was the day that I had the. I, if if you go on my Facebook, folks, you'll see the picture next to me. A Shin statue. That's where they had this thing, and that's where they had the the limited edition blue purple Ghidorahs and you know Kyle had asked if I could try to pick him up something but I, that was the day that I was teaching all day so we missed the entire event um you know Taiwan I missed they, their their exhibit ended in September but like oh, so another right in between the, the different exhibits yeah but uh, but in another you know a kind of amazing thing the hosts in Taiwan you know I, I literally landed on a Thursday afternoon taught Sorry, landed on a Monday afternoon, taught Tuesday, Wednesday, flew home Friday, uh, Thursday morning. So I wasn't there for a full day. And they were like, what would you like to see? And I'm like, they're not expecting me to be like, do you have any like vintage toy shops or places that sell Godzilla stuff? There was this figure I'm looking for. And it was the purple shin that was only available at this exhibit. And, uh, you know, there's really like, I could not tap into the toy culture there. Didn't have the time, didn't have any, I, I didn't buy a, a pocket Wi-Fi thing, so almost no cell service. And on the last day they gifted me, they had been looking for this thing for me. Um, and I got that purple shin. They, they, they got it. it. They found it. They, they bought it for me and gave it to me as a thank you gift. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that is one of the best things I've heard in a long time. So, you know, it's just one of those things. And, and, and again, like, you know, I could go on, I'm sure I can buy that through the Facebook group for 120 bucks. Um, but to being getting it as a gift yeah and and i've really been thinking about like you know we we, we're talking about like um i would say at this point in the last year the big change there's three big changes one is i almost feel like i'm cheating i I realized and it might have even been with the conversation with brian that like i talk about how gi joe toys are the best toys ever and i'm like why am i not collecting them so this year i've started to collect some gi joes uh super affordable if you don't care about mint on card or anything like i got like uh at new york comic-con this year, I got the, the 1982 Vamp Jeep. It's in stellar condition with an 83 clutch you know, driver figure. So I've been, I've been getting some of that. I sold off some of the other Godzilla stuff. Um, but like this interaction. So listeners, you might not know this, but I mentioned in the beginning. But like Dave and I are talking like old friends. We have never officially spoken together before other than messages. It's because we have shared interests and passions and stuff like that. And, and that's the the cooler thing about collecting now for me versus the actual items on the shelves, except for like when they, they actually have an attachment of, you know, where it is, you know, what, what, what it means behind it versus just getting the other figure that just came out. I think that's the takeaway from this whole conversation is, and, and I wanted to talk to you before. I mean, I've got, I've got more time, but whatever the whole, this whole collecting community, um, there's a lot of nonsense that goes on, as we all know, but there's a lot of great stuff that goes on too. I mean, which brings me to the fact that I've met some of the best friends that in my life through this yeah. silly collecting community, and which which definitely tells me that you need to go to G Fest because <laughs> the, the way we're interacting now, when you meet these people, 
you know, including myself face to face in Chicago, you're going to act like your old friends. There's no weirdness. It's like, oh, 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 well, do, yeah. do none of that. It's all out the window. And, and for you, who's not been to G-Fest, again, it's not really about the shit the stuff that you're going to get. I, I completely agree. I, I wouldn't, I'm not, I wouldn't be going planning to actually buy a lot. It would be you everybody. But for me, the things that I look for and I really want to get every year are the G-Fest exclusives. Something that is, okay, you can only get it if you go to G-Fest. Yeah. In theory, I mean, people sell it afterwards, but a, a <laughs> that was the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, again, like I said about the, the stuff. Yeah. But, but the exclusive figure that you picked up, the show that you were at, the people you meet, um, the um, the guest stars that go. I, I think Takarada is going again next year. He was supposed to go last year, but he couldn't go. Um, uh, he's going to be up in your neck of the woods, I think, next weekend at, in Boston, I think, right? In, in Massachusetts, some of oh, the there's a toy convention up there. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We can talk about that later. But um, um, but we've got some people. We've got a couple of people coming um, for Winterfest in December. Um, yeah. Well, this so. is it's not it's not in New York. It's in it's in New England somewhere. Yeah. But um, uh, uh, one of the one of the guests is, is Takarada, who's a hoot to meet in person. And um, anyway, G Fest, you. You you just you're just surrounded by people who get it like like what the way we're talking now yeah imagine that like with a whole group of people okay I'm dying to go I'm I'm I'm, I'm holding out that you're gonna go this year and every year the, the since I've I've been trying to go and every year I end up booking a hotel and then having to let it go but well, uh, go this year and and try and tell no one to get married at that time you know <laughs> that was part of my problem last year I got married <laughs> but, but I mean I really want to. You to be meet some of these awesome people personally and sit on the patio and smoke a cigar and have a glass of whiskey and talk about the shit all night. It's, yeah. it's not not too many things are better than that, you know. Um, so I think you know really try to do that and 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 I I love G Fest too because some of these dealers, the smaller ones, you know, will have like a vintage lobby card from King Kong versus Godzilla, like a vintage one, yeah. and it's like. Not, that's not what people are looking for. So you snag that for, you know, under hundred bucks or whatever, but the, it, it's a, the, the takeaway from this chat for, for the people who are listening and who are collectors and who are like, even like the stuff. Um, it, it, it's definitely still very much alive and the community is thriving and, and, you know, there's a lot of good people and, and just, if you have any questions about anything, especially like traveling to Japan, just reach out. And everybody's pretty, you know, cool to, to, to give you any advice or, or suggestions that you, that you might need. Yeah, I think even if you wanted to expand that out, listeners, to beyond the Godzilla world, I think, like, whatever you're interested in, there, yeah, there's, a, there's a hub of it, you know, in Facebook land. And, and, and you know, Facebook land, you know, can be... Uh, a shitty place, but there's also a lot of great things that happen out of it. And like, I think a, a, a more than a few of the episodes of this show are people that I was mostly friends, even in the fitness world, um, that I knew more through social media than in person. And, you know, the show has been a great way to get to hang out and get to know people. Um, and, and also too, like, for example, like I have still family in the East coast. So the next time I'm in New York, I'll definitely like, look you yeah, up. please do. We should something. And vice versa. If you're ever in Seattle, you know, like I'm trying. I have a lot of friends in Seattle in the fitness world, but I haven't been able to get up there yet. Well, you need um, to come out here and, and train my ass, man. With, with me, that <laughs> I, I well, need that desperately. 
I started uh, actually um, looking into, I reached out to the local Alamo draft house about potentially renting for a screening of King Kong, uh, sorry, of Godzilla when it comes out. It's a little bit money, but it might be in the works. But yeah, I wanted, you know, uh, it's, it's definitely, let, let me know the next time you're in town. Um, it, it's, it's really cool that we have that overlap of the scene. Like there's so many places that are gone, you know, sure. just... That, that to have that shared history. I mean, even Forbidden Planets, which is still here. It's not the same. It's, it's not. It's really not. not. not and uh, I was there. Um, the last time I was in New York was in the winter of, of, of 2017. It was actually January of 2017. And my mom was having an operation in New Jersey. And she did so well. And she recovered. She was out of the hospital, like, in record time that I had a few extra days on my hands. So I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to go to New York. And, and go to some of my old favorite places. And the good news is uh, one of my best friends lives in North Jersey, so, and he works in Manhattan. So I got up early with him, we took the train in, and then he, I dropped him off at work, and then I just went down to the village, in, my, in the East Village, the West Village, and, 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 and did like a little photo safari of my old places that I used to go to. And, you know, it was awesome because it was snowy. It was snowy. It was cold. It was like eight degrees in January, and there was not a lot of people around, which was great for me. Um, I did fall on the ice right in front of NYU, right, right in front of the, uh, the arch there. Uh, some some doorman had had tried to pour water to get the rock salt off, and it froze instantly, and I fell on my ass. <laughs> but like literally, and, and in New York, someone actually helped me. I was shocked. But, We're getting uh, better at that. Better at that. Getting better at that. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, I, I went to, you know, my old neighborhood on St. Mark's and, you know, of course you have Toy Tokyo now, which is, which is, that's changed too. That's not what it used to be either. When that first came out. That I remember be, when it used to be on the second floor. Yep. yep. And it was on the block of Love Saves the Day, wasn't it? It was a block closer. I, I, I don't know if it was on the same block. One, ne- one block. I think it was one block over. Because we lived on, on St. Mark's between second and third. And, you know, around the corner, we had Paul's Palace. And do you remember Dojo Restaurant? Oh, man, I used to get the, the turkey burger with the... T- the last one just closed on, uh, over by, by NYU, which is... Yeah. I went to like the one on St. Mark's. I went to the one on St. Mark's. I used to go to the St. Mark's one much more often. That was a cooler hang. That's now... Um, probably twice a week, because you can get dinner for five bucks. Soy, yeah. soy, burger, soy burger platter with, with pita bread, salad, and miso soup. And that little tahini, they'd have that like parody. And the tahini, yeah. Yep. I love yep, I could drink it. But, but, but that's, gone, that's gone now. And, and that used to be like where Kim's was. And, well, the um, Kim's video, the interesting thing is, so when Kim's, they, they had redone that uh, in the late 90s where... Yeah, they moved like, Mark's again. They, went back they, they moved Mark's. back into a big spot and they tried to open a cafe and the, and the cafe failed. So my ex-wife and I actually had two bar stools that we bought because they were like diner style from from there. Oh, that's um, cool. So you have a history. You have some. We, some we don't have them anymore. Uh, that we lost those, I think, before the marriage ended. <laughs> but um, Barcade, which is like a bar with arcade games, is, yeah. is the first floor now. And my friends who own a gym, Nimble Fitness, have the upper floor now. So like they're actually in that Kim space. Um, well, Kim- Kim's was next to Trash and Vaudeville. That's that's where they moved. And Trash and Vaudeville's gone. And, uh, and St. Mark's Comics is still there. St. Mark's Comics. I was I was directly across the street from there. 
I was 16, St. Mark's Place. You had that vintage video game store that used to be right over there and sounds and man, it's just- Oh, sounds. I was, sounds was on my door. That, that was my door. That, sounds was here and Royal Barbershop was here. Amazing. Yeah. Day. You remember in the, in the late 80s, early 90s when I lived there, they had all the vendors on the streets 24-7. Remember the same Mark's? Yeah. All, like all, and and my, my mom was always a nervous wreck. Oh, you live in the East Village, it's dangerous. And I said, Mom, you know what? There's always somebody around on my street at night. I mean, yeah. maybe a crackhead, but someone's around, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and but those those were like, I, I keep saying this, those days were like so precious to me. And I feel so honored and, and, and lucky and grateful to have lived in New York City in the East Village at the very tail end of, of all the, before it went completely gentrified, you know? Um, do, you, do you ever watch um, Parts Unknown, Anthony Bourdain's show? I've seen a handful of episodes, but okay. not many. The last episode, you know, because he, he tragically passed, you know, a few, a few months ago. The very last episode that aired was, was last Sunday, and it was the, the East Village. Uh, I'll have to check it out. And I learned things that I never even knew about the area that I lived in for, for several years. And, and um, I just posted, in honor of that, I did a, a, that day, the photo shoot of some of my, my old places that I used to love to go to. And one of the, the photos is, is the, the, the hole in the ground, the, the empty lot where Love Saves the Day used to be. Because remember that blew up in the gas, the gas explosion about what, <laughs> five years ago? Yeah, you know, folks, for Love Saves the Day, we keep mentioning it was before thrift stores were cool and they were more of a necessity. And before, you know, toy collecting was a thing, Love Saves the Day was this wonderful shop of vintage toys at clothes, even the prices though weren't horrible, but like you could literally find like something of everything. And, and I think the, the nostalgia of the, the old city, especially yeah. Lower East Side is, you know, we could have this emotional connection to the, to the lost arts of these comic book shops and record stores and whatever. Somebody else into something else will be like, they used to have these places there. Um, it's just changed so dramatically. Love saves the day transcends it all. We all had something that we could have loved in there. It really, right? and 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 it, and it you know, the name is perfect. And for those of you who weren't familiar with it, in the film Desperately Seeking Susan, which is actually a great movie, a lot of shot in the East Village, Madonna goes in there and just she gets the boots and the jacket and the whole thing from Love Saves the Day. That's that scene is shot in Love Saves the Day. Hold, hold on one second. There is my son. Sorry. Hold on. No problem. Hey, so sorry about that. It's okay. Is uh, uh, the kid's mom's going to Paris, so we just had to coordinate with the nanny. Um, are you in Manhattan? I'm in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, I love. I lived in Brooklyn for for a couple of years too. What what neighborhood? We're in uh, Gowana, South Slope. Okay, I was in Park Slope. Uh, there, I used to live in Park Slope. So, uh, what part of Park Slope were you in? I lived on President Street between Fifth and Sixth Avenue. All right, so <laughs> our no world. Friends. Are constantly involved. So, um, before the divorce, uh, they still, you know, share some time there. Uh, I lived on Lincoln between fifth and sixth, which is only four blocks from you. Uh, before we had kids, I lived on President Street between uh, Smith and Hoyt. So, yeah, we <laughs> unbelievable. I, I, you know, I gotta say, in my in my life, I've lived in some pretty awesome places. St. Mark's Place, you know, the tail end of everything. Park Slope, before it came, came what it is now. Yeah. Uh, we, they sold the, um, I guess we can talk about this later, right? You don't have to do this now. 
we might want to finish up the. the <laughs> well, you were talking about desperately. Let's go back. You were talking about desperately seeking Susan. Okay, so, so, so there's there, there's a film in the in the eighties called Desperately Seeking Susan with Madonna and um, uh, Rosanna Arquette. Actually, a really great film. It's fun. And there's a scene where Madonna goes into Love Saves the Day, and she tries to steal a pair of boots, which is you know perfect. That's that neighborhood back then. Yeah. And she ends up swapping her jacket, her cool jacket that Jimi Hendrix used to own for the boots. Anyway. That's the, that's the kind of place it was. It was iconic. It was, just like you said before, it was the archetype of all modern vintage clothing, clothing and toy shops. And it was, it was the quintessential vintage shop at and that it, time. It just made sense, too. You know, if you think about it now and you talk about something like that, like vintage fashion and old toys, it just doesn't seem to fit. But it totally made fits. total it sense. All it all goes together. And, and, they, and they had... You know, like um, G- tons of old GI Joe. They had like the six million dollar man, the bionic woman. They had Charlie's Angels dolls and the then Kiss had, dolls. Like, yeah, they had the ki- Kiss dolls. And and really funny story. There was this guy that worked there. I can't remember his name. He was kind of a stoner. Big surprise. And and when I lived on St. Mark's, I used to go in a lot. And then I moved to San Francisco. And I came back like five years later after I had moved. Maybe it was even longer. And and the guy's just like, hey, man, where you been? I haven't seen you in a, in a little bit. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm just totally like out of it, but super sweet, you know. He, he thought that I just hadn't been around, you know. I just moved out of the city, you know. You know what was nice about that spot? Like, you go to uh, – sometimes you go to a comic book shop or a record store and you get the, uh, the elitist condescension of the people that work there, no matter how much or little they're making or <laughs> whatever's going on. Love Saves the Day never had that. It was just like, come in and just do your thing. And they, they didn't get pissy if you just browsed every single day you went in there. But uh, – I hate checking my bag. That's I, I, I hated that. Check your bag. Okay, I'm not going to take anything really. But, <laughs> but, oh yeah, no that 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 was a very down to earth, non judgmental place. I remember going in there and they had drag queens, cash register working. Yeah. Cash, you know? So it's like you know it, any, anything goes, and and I miss that about that time in in New York and anywhere for that matter. Um, I, we, we can go on about this for, for, for so long. It's just about the whole, the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? The joy of, of, of the chase and finding something that you browsing. never knew. The, the art of browsing, the search of a browse without eBay. Um, you know what I mean? Without, or Craigslist. Like, like you're not going to find it unless you go to garage sales or go store hunting. You just never know. Like I, I do. It's one of the things I miss about comic books and like the hunt for a back issue. When you show up at a comic book shop you haven't been to before, and you just like, oh, I wonder if they're going to have this. And you, whether they have it or not, like that hunt is awesome. Um, hey, we're going to need to wrap this up. I got to go take care of the kiddos. Uh, we, we, could go on for, I mean, we could probably do it another hour, but yeah, yeah, man. I mean, it was fantastic getting to talk to you. So at the end of every show, uh, the guest tells the listeners to die mighty. So Dave, will you tell the listeners to die mighty? Okay, everyone, die mighty. <laughs> and, Tell them where they can follow you on on us on social media so they can see your photos because you do take awesome photos. Okay, yeah, um, I have a, a kaiju photo site um, called Gods and Monsters. Uh, uh, it's Gods and Monsters Photography Group on Facebook. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, d e d dot d e dot co on Instagram, and um, I. 
my photo, I actually have a professional photo site, but I, I won't give you that right now because it's under work, work in progress. But, but yeah, I'm I'd be very happy to, to chat with anybody if you have any, any questions about traveling to Japan or toy collecting or, or photography or anything like that. So thank awesome. you so much for, for having me. And I'm glad that we ended up making it work in the long run. <laughs> yeah, listen, listen. Because, you know, we spent... Uh, an hour, actually, we just had like massive technical difficulties getting this to work, and uh, I appreciate you hanging in on it. I was like, "Shit, we've never talked, <laughs> and this is turning into a nightmare." But it worked out wonderfully. It worked out wonderfully, and you're a great guy. And uh, again, I, I got to tell you one thing about about this guy too. We didn't really know each other just from messages back and forth. And when he was going to Japan, he asked asked some some advice, and then I felt comfortable enough to ask him to bring me back something from Japan. It was a small thing, granted, but, and he did. He went to Kaiju Sakaba, which we didn't even talk about, um, and picked up this really cool collectible for me. And, and again, many thanks for that. Oh, uh, of course, man. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, that place is super fun. It's a, not only an Ultraman themed bar, it is an Ultraman bad guy themed bar. No heroes welcome. Uh, and of course, and that thing is actually really cool. I might, I almost went by that place again, uh, to get one for myself, but I, I, I'm trying to like really confine my collection because otherwise it's just too expensive. I'll tell you what, when you, when I go back in February, you let me know if there's anything you want me to get <laughs> and I'll be more than happy to, to search it out for you. Well, I'll say the only thing right now that I am actively would like to come across is one, but I don't want anybody to spend mon like money on it. It's like, you know, this, this goes a little bit to the last G Fest. I would like that green Nakajima. You know, that came out that was like regular price and everybody sort of bought it. And now that he's passed, like, but it's like everyone sort of like secondhand sells it at a much higher thing. You know what? I, I, I'll see what I can do. I know some people. You know some people. I know some um, people. But that, that would be like something up there. But uh, I'm pretty cool, man. Uh, what I would love is like if the stars can align and we all end up out there one day together. Um, you know what? That, 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 would be, that would be phenomenal. And, 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 but even more attainable is just G-Fest. It'll be the next best thing. Right? I, I, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go look at, uh, at the dates on it. I, I think actually this is the first year I didn't pre-book the hotel because I think I actually got frustrated after this one got canceled. Well, they, um, they, they, they do like, I think they do their opening of rooms in two tiers. Like, two, like the first one's already, they did it. And then they'll, they'll do another one. Cool. And another rooms. And there's always someone who you know, needs a roommate or whatever. So um, I don't know if you go by yourself or you bring bring your wife or... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, she, she's not coming to hang out with Godzilla no, fans. <laughs> no, no, Keith, Keith, no, either. Keith, no, either. I mean, he... he, he well, maybe, maybe, maybe Kim and Keith can go hang out. <laughs> he was super in Japan. I mean, he loves Japan, but, you know, and, and he, I have to admit, he was really excited when he went to, to a, 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 uh, X plus HQ. That was like... I mean, that would be... Yeah. I mean... For, I, for, I keep for, trying to back off that collection, man. And then they post that. It killed me not to get the Rodan that just got released. You know, it's not out yet, but pre-ordered. And it's <sighs> and then it's killing me that I really want to get that Ebera. And I'm like, huh? Yeah, you know, okay. So if you were, if, for people that aren't watching, my King Ghidorah is the only flaw in my collection because I got one of the warp leg ones. So oh, no. every time I see a king, and it was like, you know, Ami Ami actually packed the box well uh, through that whole debacle. 
but it's got a warped leg, so it doesn't sit well. And it's one of the, it's the second most expensive figure in my collection. And I'm like a little bit, and we hear it all the time too. It's not a diss on X Plus, but like you pay this much money, it should be perfect. So I just that that sort of turned me off from worrying about those higher end 25 centimeter but millimeter ones. Having said all that, having said all that, this one, you know, and everybody's like, oh, how many? King Deidre's do you need? Okay, it's the original. It's the 64. It's a the sculpt different. is beautiful. The sculpt is beautiful. It's more upright, and they have learned their lesson for packing. Um, they really, I, I'm, I'm almost positive, I say that now, but I'm almost positive that it's going to be good because I remember watching Rich Iso's, uh, I don't know if you watched it, he, he used to do unboxing videos, yeah, right? Yeah, I've seen a couple and of them. King Deidre was like, he was all, you know, to be enriched, all, all happy. And then he opened it up and he saw that it was fucked up. And the head was off, right? One of the heads was off. And there was like crickets. It was like, <laughs> oh my God. And then I got so nervous. And I remember, I remember the day that I was, it was supposed to come, the, the day that I got the notice, I had my model glue, my paint, <laughs> everything ready, my epoxy sculpt, everything ready to fix it if it was broken. And, I, and Keith's like, I'm leaving. I'm not even going to be here. He left the house. He didn't want to see it because if it was broken, it would have been like screaming and yelling and all that stuff. But I opened the box. It was perfect. There was nothing yeah. Wrong. You know, I looked at, I opened my box. I checked the heads. The heads were on. I looked for the points on the wings. They were all fine. And then I stood it up and I'm like, holy shit, one of his legs is warped. And um, it's because they have that. For you. I could probably fix that. The, for you. I tried the hair dryer. Um, <laughs> And but there's like an epoxy waiting it and it didn't help. You need to take the leg off and reposition it. Um, I know that's scary to do, but if it, if I make the trip to New York and I have a little bit of free time, I could probably fix it for you. Field trip. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would appreciate. Wait. But we, uh, we just went on a little too long now. But but I'm I'm also I'm I'm trying to keep it where. Uh, focusing on, on, on the characters that I like, but if I have a working suit, like right now, I would rather have like the Eber, like a different character. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I love, I love that, that big lobster. That's, that's, that, yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite ones too. Um, I, that, that one's, that one's like a special one for me. I couldn't even tell you why. It's just, there's just something about the whole aesthetic of that one that I love. All, All right, man. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by The FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at glengurrieta. Voice over by Laura Palmer.